this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 258. We're recording on Thursday, April 25th. I'm Jeff O'Neill, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams. And we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Sharifa, this is your maiden voyage on the flagship Book Riot Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. It is. I feel like I'm on a very old interesting creaky ship and that's a good feeling even though it sounds kind of bad did you have to leave with old did you have to leave with old Sharifa? it came out of my mouth and i was like this isn't a good description for something nice yeah 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 i'm yeah. glad it's to a, be here it's, and you're coming up i was just looking at the calendar almost a year full-time right may 1st last year it's strange it's kind of yeah it's a year um i guess it was it's this year because I I formally started April and then moved. Oh, in okay. May. So you're already you're already past a year. We've already lapped. I, think I am. Wow. I feel like I should have like had a little fanfare on my side. Like <laughs> I didn't even crack open a bottle of nothing, champagne nothing, this weekend. No, not, not even a celebratory Yelp or a tip of the cap to the universe I mean, or whatever else you're going to do. I know. Well, and for those of you who don't know, Sharifa hosts uh, co-hosts with uh, Jen Northington. Uh, the SFF Yeah podcast, which I can never... I got the right number of Fs in there, didn't I? Is you did. You got How it right. How do you say it? How do you... Give me your cadence. SFF Yeah. Okay, that's right. All right. Um, which is a bi-weekly show about science fiction and fantasy. Go check that out um, over there. You also... do You do a... Here's a thing, too, I was going to ask you about. Since this show started, we're at 258. This is a show that's news about... Book, it's book news, book world news. We're not really about books, weirdly. Some people, one thing we get about iTunes reviews on this show is like, shut up about social justice, which isn't going to happen. And the other one, which is fair but wrong, is I wish they talked more about specific books, but I'm like, oh, that's no. not what we do. Right? I mean, we have other shows that do that. You, yeah. I don't think before you started this full time, you were interested in books, but did you, did, were you interested in the world of books and reading? What's cool, new, worth to talk about in the books? Or I guess like, that's what I'm, one inch, like the insider baseball stuff, because you do today in books for us, you do critical linking sometimes, you do all this other kinds of book world stuff. How, how much of a shock has that been to, to do that in a serious way? I mean, it, I definitely was not as in tune to, even before I started full-time, like right. when I was writing as a contributor and a contributing editor, like I, I got the news once in a while, right? but it's definitely been like, I have never felt so in tune to what's going on in the book <laughs> world than I do now because I yes. literally am scouring sites on a Like daily it's your job basis. almost, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's really interesting though, and you become so involved in it. And one thing I've noticed is that like sometimes I'll talk about things and I'm like, I am the only person in this co- conversation. <laughs> who's interested in these like <laughs> nuanced issues right. of publishing and how did I even start talking about this 
So yeah, I lost touch with like the rest of the world not really paying attention to the world. Well, and frankly, I mean, it's not it's not that different than why we started the site in the first place kind of is like for people who or the podcast especially this one is people who are interested in book world news but aren't in the book world themselves necessarily, yeah. right? Like, you know, you're interested in publishing news and what's going on in the world of books, but you're not necessarily interested in subscribing to Publishers Weekly or like getting a subscription to Publishers Lunch exactly. or something like that. Um, that there's a, there's a space between people who just buy a book and read it every now and again and publishing industry pros. And I think that's what an interesting... It's an interesting place to live in because if we didn't do this show, we only try to capture the news and you try to capture the news for today in books of like people... Book news that like book fans would be interested in, but not what like someone who's an associate publicist at PRA yeah. could be interested in, that which is a difficult... Boring needle to thread. Um, I guess yeah, the only thing that surprised me is how much news there is on a given week. Because I used to think, are we going to have something for this show every week? And now, as we said before the show, we're, which of these things are we not going to talk about? I know. It's it's strange. And even when I'm on SFF, yeah, like we only talk about science fiction and fantasy related right. news. And if we can find stuff within a niche genre or not even right. a niche genre within a genre all the time like just in the greater wider world of publishing and books like there is just so much it, it's always boggling to me especially since I just sort of got into it as of like a year or so ago it's just boggling how much there is on a daily basis and I mean granted a lot of it is adaptation news sometimes <laughs> but there right. is more there is more than that <laughs> when we start our new site it'll be adaptationriot.com it's just I all know. about adaptation well, SFF, yeah, I mean, especially that seems, well, I mean, I guess all, is there any genre that's less adapted into this? I guess romance isn't as adapted into major feature releases as some of the other, you get a bit mystery thriller, you get nonfiction stuff that gets trans, yeah. science fiction, fantasy, um, romance gets adaptations in various levels, but it doesn't seem to be quite the same scale no. or... If it's a romance that's it, if it's a romance that gets turned into a movie, sometimes they then label it like women's fiction or commercial fiction or whatever because there's a stigma against romance, it's garbage oh, yeah. or whatever. Oh, but like, goodness. that's a, that's a thing that happens to any any uh, surprising things to you about the world of books and reading uh, that you've you've noticed over the last year. Like, what do you find yourself surprised by and what people are talking about and interested in in the the literary world or we're well, not the literary world, just the the publishing book reading kind of world. Stories you were surprised by, things you're, you found surprising about the world. Um, I don't know if there's anything in particular I'm surprised yeah. by. I feel like nowadays I'm surprised by how it, it feels like, and I might be deluded, but it feels like more and more of book and publishing news is getting into mainstream awareness. Yeah, that's interesting. Which is like, I don't know if I'm just, you know, you, you buy a car and suddenly you see it everywhere on the road. <laughs> right, yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I'm just Availability like seeing... bias, we would call that in. Yes. Slow, yeah, yeah so I don't know if that's just me, but it feels like, but I feel like a lot of that comes with like, you know, there's the Me Too stuff. And right. There's... And Trump, and we'll it's a Comey and like big public, yes. yeah, po political world stuff that burbles up or books have had a a part to play in it. I guess that's a good segue into the rest of the show, but let us let me do our first sponsor before we get into real talk. Um, after we've done sort of the state of uh, Sharifa's uh, uh, relationship with the book industry, we're all <laughs> done with that now. That was very helpful. Thank you, Sharifa. I hope we all feel good no problem. now about that. First sponsor this week, The Girl Who Smiled Beads by Clementine Wamaria. Clementine Wamaria was six years old when her mother and father began to speak, speak in whispers when neighbors began to disappear. 
Then in 1994, she and her 15-year-old sister Claire fled the Rwandan massacre and spent the next six years migrating through seven African countries, searching for safety, safety, perpetually hungry, imprisoned, and abused, enduring and escaping refugee camps. When Clementine was 12, she and her sister were granted refugee status in the United States, and Clementine was taken in by a family who raised her as their own. On the surface, she seemed to live the American dream, attending private school, taking up cheerleading, and ultimately graduating from Yale. Yet the years of being treated less than human, of going hungry and seeing death, could not be erased. In The Girl Who Smiled Beads, authors Clementine and Elizabeth Weil provoke us to look beyond the label of victim and recognize the power of imagination to transcend even the most profound injuries and aftershocks. Devastating yet beautiful, The Girl Who Smiled Beads is a powerful testament to Clementine's commitment to, to constructing a life on her own terms. That's The Girl Who Smiled Beads by Clementine Wamaria. Available wherever books are sold. Thanks for them for sponsoring this week's show. Um, speaking of niche uh, stories that people that are civilians don't care about, but that we <laughs> care about very deeply, I think we can come back um, like uh, Odysseus returning to Ithaca and uh, finish Good. off our Circe journey. Got the sales numbers last week um, about Madeline Miller's Circe uh, for those of you who were playing along, what happened was the Friday before the book was released, maybe it was Thursday morning, I, I couldn't remember what Jen we talked about, and I can't remember now still. Anyway, the the end of the week prior to the book being released, there was a dramatic down price in the pre-order price of the hardbacks. They got down to $2.79. We saw it first on Amazon. Um, we published a post about it. I included in Book Riot Deals. We sold a whole bunch of copies. Then we saw the price fluctuate, change, weird things happening there. It was two seventy nine on Target. And basically, um, we've heard, I don't know, I can't remember if we talked, we've heard definitively now, um, I don't think I can say from whom, but yeah. I would bet a substantial amount of money um, based on the source we have that the original problem was someone over at Target made a pre-ordering pricing mistake on the book Amazon's algorithm matched it, and we found out about it. And then we made it, we made it worse, Sharifa. That's what we did. We made the whole problem worse or better. <laughs> I don't even know how you want to describe this at this point. And one of our questions coming out of last week was, like, how big of a difference did we make? I, I said, I think, that from our own Amazon affiliate, just in those few hours it was available, we sold about 350 copies that we could track. Now, that doesn't include people who went and bought it somewhere else. People bought it through Target. People bought it through someone tell, telling them about it. We had people tell us, I tried to buy it through your link, it wouldn't work at work, so I had to go somewhere else. So I don't know how many we were responsible for. And the question, concern, excitement on my part, our part was, did we make this thing an in, a bestseller through these circumstances? I'm not going to call them wrong or whatever, just like, well, come to find out, um, Circe debuted at number one on the New York Times hardcover fiction list last week. And that was the first bit of information I got, which made me very... Anxious? I don't know. Like, I'll get, let me get through the story, then I want to hear your reaction to it. Like, how much guilt or, or credit should I take for this? A guilt credit, as um, I'm calling it. And then, so I was like, oh my god, we, we may, because you know, it could be by a few hundred copies that it's number one versus number two. Well, then I saw in BookScan's number that was released in Publishers Weekly that I got my magazine just the other day. I subscribed to the print one. It was number. It sold. BookScan had it like number nine for hardcover fiction, which is its own weird thing about how that's nine on one and one on the other. But it sold about 9,500 copies. And for, and the next, so like to for it to have been number 10, it would have had to sell about 7,500 copies. 
And then to just be in the top 20 on BookScan, it would have had to sell about 3,500 copies. So here's what I think. I think we cannot say we're responsible for it being on the top 20 BookScan. I don't, I, I don't think there's any way which we accounted for 6,000 copies. I think doing a little back-of-the-envelope math and guessing, I'd say it's possible that those 350, I can for sure say, are us. Probably another 350 on top of that. Then maybe if you want to add some more, like maybe 1,000 copies is us. Does that sound right? You know, like that's kind of the ballpark I'm thinking. That sounds about right. So it's not enough for it to make, not to have made the book scan like top 15. Maybe it would have been one or two spots lower, but because of us. The question I can't answer for you is the the New York Times list. Because if you listen to the most recent uh, episode of Annotated, you know that, that that list is weighted in ways that are weird and hard to know since so many of the sales we generated were through Amazon, which they seem to discount to some weird degree. Hard to say, but that's the story. I think it'll be interesting to see the second week's sales. Like, where does it go from here? Um, that, wh- what do you think? You, you were following this, and you buy, were you yes. going to buy this book anyway, or did, it, did the talk about it get to you? Because you said you're halfway through it. Yeah. Um, but like, what, what do you think about this whole mess? I mean, see, I don't feel like there's much... I I felt a little bit guilty buying. Okay. I did buy the two seventy nine version yeah, when it came did. out. Like I literally woke up the day this happened and it was everywhere, and yeah. I immediately put it on Instagram stories. So I am also culpable in this, saying go out and buy this. We don't know how long this is gonna last, but I don't know that I would have bought it like i heard about the song of achilles uh, also by madeline miller a right. lot and it sounded interesting and it's funny because i really enjoy uh, mythology and retellings of mythology but for whatever reason because i have a gajillion books i have to yeah because there's a billion books published every minute right yeah exactly. exactly so i never got around to actually getting it and when i got Circe, or Circe, I've been saying it wrong all along. Mm. (laughs) When I got that book, I ended up also buying The Song of Achilles at full Mm -hmm. price. So I feel like there are enough benefits to having to that mistake happening where I don't feel like there's tons of guilt. I feel like I wonder if it would have gotten pushed to the top of to the tops of these lists Mm -hmm. without this thing happening. And maybe that's, you know. That'll never be solved, but I feel like I feel like this whole thing was kind of a good thing. Well, it does make me feel better in that um, it was Target's fault, and they have to eat all the costs. And then Amazon price match, so that Little Brown and Madeline Miller were really just like beneficiaries, right? They're still getting the money. They're getting the additional yeah. publicity because that was up for grabs, right? We didn't really know that until definitively till I think last week at some point. So That's that true. makes That's me true. feel better about in terms of like, I don't know, the players involved, the direct, you know, Target can, you know, even if we sold a thousand copies, it cost them uh, 10 bucks a pop. They can absorb a $10,000 hit. Target Amazon. You know, I'm not worried about them. I'm not worried about them. So that part makes me feel better. I guess the part that I was concerned about is, Number one New York Times bestseller. Is it legitimate? I mean, I guess it is. It, it, it's both. It's Schrodinger's bestseller, right? It both is and isn't legitimate, as far as we can tell. Like, yeah, people bought those books, but it was this weird circumstance. But you know what? Take what you can get if you're writing literary fiction about you know the medieval or the ancient world. Take it. Just take it. Yeah, I wouldn't like. 
I don't know. I wouldn't take that away from Madeline Miller no. or from her book. And I feel like maybe it's just because I really like the book and I really right. like her. But this is sort of a situation where it doesn't feel like it's gaming the system necessarily. It was kind of out of out of everybody's control as far as right. I, I know, you know. So I am not even that upset. And part of the reason I'm not that upset is because I really, I am not the person who pays attention to the New York Times bestseller mm-hmm. list. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, it went to, I'm glad that she got promoted and that her book is out there. I've seen it everywhere now. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful book too. I mean, it looks it great is. on Instagram. It looks great in the store. It's a wonderful uh, edition. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like I don't, I can't bother myself to feel too bad. Um, like I don't feel like this is a situation of where my ethics feel like they're being compromised yeah, by what right. happened and oh my goodness, what's going to happen to the New York Times bestseller list? Like we all kind of know that. Yeah, we but, all kind of know. We all, I, I guess I just don't like it if it's misrepresented. But you know what? People actually bought the book. It yeah. also helps. I agree with you that it's a book we like. You know, it's a feminist retelling of an ancient myth. It's beautiful. And um, I have a copy sitting here that I'm waiting to read this summer. I love Song of Achilles. I think you'll enjoy it too. So it's a book. If it's going to happen to a book, I'm glad it's this one. And, yeah. and we wouldn't be writing about it in the way that we did, like hurrying up to get a post about to get people on it. If the book was like, ah, who cares? Um, so that part, I'm <laughs> I'm glad it. If it was going to happen, I'm glad it was this book. It's it's like kind of like if someone wins the lottery, are they a better person or a worse person? No, they're just the same. They just got lucky, and that's what happened here. They got a little bit yeah. lucky. Yeah, and I admit lucky. that if it was something I, if it was a book I really didn't like, I would probably be all kinds of salty about it. Right. So yeah. you know, I'm bringing my own bias into this. I I can be honest with myself. Yeah, and, and frankly, the other. Com- the the other competitors for the number one list, like they're the usual suspects. Like they're, you know, summertime's coming up. There's a yeah. lot of thrillers, mass market. They're going to be all right. You know, they you are. don't have to worry about David Baldacci. I mean, he's going to be okay <laughs> if he's not number one for this particular one. In fact, when I was researching the most recent uh, episode of Annotated, which if you haven't heard is about how to hack the New York Times bestseller list of all yes. things. Um, it c- t- turns out that it does really matter for debut authors if you make the bestseller list. It, re- it results in about a 15 to 17% um, increase in sales versus you know a control group that don't. But it doesn't seem to really help people, authors who make the bestseller list all the time, which kind of makes sense. right? You get the bump, people you get that exposure effect. But once people know who you are, getting more exposure doesn't really make that much of a difference. So that yeah. makes me that's a big rationalization, but that them's the stats for you. No, that totally makes sense because I think that's why the whole thing about Angie Thomas getting bumped. Yes, like, really. right. That was a big deal. That was yeah. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that. I don't think there's any other bows to put on that particular package. Um, but anyway, there's that. Okay, other follow-up. Speaking of affecting sales, um, question we've been asking on the show of like, as the sexual misconduct charges have been brought to light against various authors, um, What's going to happen to them, to their books, to their publishers? We followed some of this. This is the first um, time we've actually seen raw numbers uh, associated with authors who've been accused publicly. And I think not just publicly, but with some momentum, some, you know, addition, more than one accusation, more than one accusation as anonymous comment, but like people who are now part of the discourse about Me Too and publishing. So Publishers Weekly pulled some book scan numbers and looked at unit sales up to the one month before accusations, then one month after accusations. 
Um, all of them are down, except for Jay Asher's 13 Reasons Why, um, which we could talk about. His sales were actually up 7% month over month before and after. Um, so this has James Dashner, Sherman Alexie, and Jay Asher. Asher's one book, 13 Reasons Why, up 7%. Um, the two books they pulled for Alexie, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, down 59%, which is the biggest drop-off. And then Absolutely True Story, uh, excuse me, Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, down 7%. For James Dashner, um, they did book one and book three of the Maze Runner series and then the box set. So basically the box set's down 55%. Book one in that series, down 25%. The Death Cure, down 19%. Anything jump out to you here, Sharifa? What do you want to talk about? I think that, well, I was thinking a lot about this um, because I was like, well, I was trying to figure out why it would be that uh, Sherman Alexi took kind of a big right. hit in particular. And one thing I was thinking was that, you know, like with his books, a lot of it is memoir. And even, right. You know, like, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, that was his memoir, and The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian has autobiographical elements, and I'm wondering if, like, that has something to do with it, too, because I know, personally, I wouldn't necessarily, like, I can't imagine reading these books without, you know, what he's done, like, the sexual harassment allegations... I couldn't possibly not let that get involved in the reading of his stories. So I'm wondering if that's a part of why his books have been particularly affected. So he feels like he he himself is closer to his books, maybe. So like they're more enmeshed than the Dashner and Asher. Yeah. And then uh, with like children's and YA publishing, like the people who are picking up those books – if it's kids who are picking up those books or who are asking their parents to buy them these books, like how many parents are going to to know? Right, right. Even though it feels like, and I was talking about this a little bit before, like it feels like everybody suddenly knows about what's going on with Me Too and publishing. Do they really know? Like is there yeah. a large percentage of parents who are specifically saying, you know what, we're not going to buy that book for you mm. or for the kids because we know what happened with uh, James Dashner and Jay. I always get their names confused. I just call Dashner them the Asher. Asher. Just, uh, just call them as I like to call them the Ashholes. Ashholes, <laughs> yes. The Ashholes. Yeah, um, like I wonder, and whereas people who are picking up Alexi's books are maybe more right. in tuned with that. Yeah, I, my my theories are uh, related to what you what you're kind of thinking too. One is I think people who read Sherman Alexie are more politically aware. I mean, that's one of the things you you know Alexie is about too. Like it overtly makes you know social concerns part yes. of the books. Um, so if you're into Alexie, as I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a good example. I like Sherman Alexie. One of the reasons I liked, do I like him now? I liked Sherman Alexie. I don't know where I am now. I'm at sea. Um, and one of the things I liked about him is what he said, the message, the thinking he did, the perspective he brought is something I didn't know about, something I was trying to be more attuned to. And so, you know, that takes a hit. And the kind of people who actively sought out Sherman Alexie might be the kind of people that would actively shun a book by someone who's had these allegations brought against them. Yeah. The other piece I was thinking about is, you know, 13 Reasons Why, you know, it's still getting recommended to me on my top 
row of Netflix, you know, and the, the Maze Runner movies are out there. Like those books are pop culture related properties. So that if you saw, you know, the Maze Runner was coming out, you saw 13 Reasons Why, you said, I'm going to go pick up that book at Barnes & Noble and it's there, you're going to sort of bypass this whole communication system about these alleg- You may not ever know, like you said, but I think this, the signal is so strong in pop culture about the Ashhole books that it can short circuit all this other stuff that's going on as well. Because um, it doesn't have to go through the conduit of the publishing world. Whereas I think Alexi Moore does have to go through that conduit. Yeah, it does feel like there's maybe... It's a little bit annoying that they get yes. to be a little bit distanced from the things they did because, you know, they have adaptations and maybe they're, it feels a little bit removed from the actual writing of the book and the writers of, you know, the book that the movies and the shows right. are adapted from. And it's kind of like, it, I mean, none of them are good. None of right. these people are on my good list. I'm not going to pick up any of their books, but right. it, I don't know why it just irks me a little bit to know that, you know, 13 Reasons and The Maze Runner are still going to be talked about. I get emails about them too, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> like, there is no acknowledgement of what happened, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised about it. Right. And maybe I'm not that surprised about these numbers um, because... I feel like there is a weird protectiveness or there was a weird bubble around having your book out in the world of pop culture versus, which is interesting because, you know, Me Too is huge in entertainment and in movies and in TV. And so you would think that there would be some sort of transference or people would sort of pick up on these stories too because Well, it does. it It is an interesting phenomenon where in publishing... For most people, you know, authors, there's some notable exceptions, but the the big brand is not necessarily you, but your 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 intellectual property. Like again, there's some big examples. Yeah. Whereas in the world of Hollywood, if you're an actor, you are your brand. So if you're Kevin Spacey or someone like that, it's so much easier to attach the news to that figure. Whereas Jay Asher, you've got to go through. Wait, James Asher did what? Oh, it's that Netflix series on called Thirteen Reasons Why. Like you, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a game of cultural telephone where each having to 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 chart it through the the IP can be a little more difficult where Sherman Alexie I think is also interesting too is like he is more famous I think than any one of his books um yes and so I think it sticks to him more because you can attach it to the figure where you know before this happened even among art like book right listeners how many of you could have told me who wrote the maze runner more than the general public but way fewer than have heard the name Sherman Alexie. So it is a yes. bummer. I think I sort of understand it, but I don't know what I want out of this. But I think it's interesting to see uh, here. Yeah, it is interesting to see. I mean, it'll it'll always be sad because, you know, Sherman Alexie also represented like a huge swath of people, which wasn't a uh, yeah. good, you know, that's it's, it's never good to rely on just one person right. for that. And I'm glad that we're paying more attention to other writers in the indigenous community. But I think that was part of it too. Like everybody was relying on him yeah, for these right. books and this story and this side of, you know, America and a mm-hmm. culture that you don't get to see that often in books. And so, yeah, it's just it just feels a little bit harder. Yeah, it does. It does feel harder. With him. And, and my personal sympathies are you know at play here as well. I mean, I don't think there's yeah. any doubt about that. I think it is worth mentioning too, though, that outside of um, Hachette 
saying they weren't going to make a paperback anytime soon of You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, he hasn't been dropped by them in the way that Asher and Dashner, the Ashholes have been dropped. Um, and again, it's a little contractual language. We're not really sure exactly what those things mean. Random House and some other people that the publish these books have said we're not going to pro- actively promote or do new ones, but we're going to keep the ones in print out there in the world. Like, it, but at least on the 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 industry side, Alexi's support hasn't doesn't seem to have been eroded as much. Um, but we'll see if that that holds. I'm still not sure. I still feel like there's more stories to tell, not only about these guys but writ large. I'm um, sure there's more of this going to happen. Let's do a let's do a sponsor while we're before we get into probably the we, we, we've now covered the book riot podcast listeners headlines. Now we'll get to the probably the normal person's headlines yes. here in just a minute <laughs> that they'd actually do. But let me get adjustment day by Chuck Palahniuk is our sponsor. One of our sponsors this week. It's the new, his newest book. Is, he hasn't written one in four years, the first novel in four years. So here we go. People pass the word only to those, that, those they trust most. Adjustment day is coming. They've been reading a mysterious book and memorizing its directives. They are ready for the reckoning. In his first novel in four years, Fight Club, the Fight Club author does what he does best. Skewer the absurdities in our society. Smug geriatric politicians bring the nation to the brink of a third world war. Working class men dream of burying the elites. When Adjustment Day arrives, it fearlessly makes, the, fearlessly makes real the logical conclusion of every separatist fantasy. Alternative fact and conspiracy theory lurking in the American psyche. That's Adjustment Day on sale now from Norton. Go check it out. This has nothing oh. to do with anything, but did you yes, hear that's about my favorite that? kind. <laughs> this is a total tangent. But did yes, you hear like about um, how Chuck Palahniuk somebody somebody else bought the house that he used to live in, and they found in the floorboards like a box full of his memorabilia with a note to the new owners no about way. <laughs> and it was in I think it was in Portland. Oh, That's yeah, why I a, was into it. He's in Portland and <laughs> Vancouver. He's like kind of between. He's a Northwestern itinerant, I think. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was so – I thought that was such a <clears throat> Polanic moment. Like I was like, I'm not – yeah, that's totally right. It's like random. if you moved into Wes Anderson house, Wes Anderson's house, and found like a houndstooth jacket and like yes. a, an old Kinks LP or something under the floorboards. <laughs> uh, I, this is probably the, uh, it. Absolutely, is the biggest new mm-hmm. n- book news of the week. Uh, James Comey, James Comey's book, "A Higher Loyalty: Truth, Lies, and Leadership," came out. Um, a lot of coverage about it. It's hard to know where the book news starts and the political news ends because yeah. generally we kind of we try to stop at the at the shore before we get on the open ocean of of overt political talk. I guess interesting to me a couple of things. It sold way better than I thought. More than six hundred thousand copies in all formats during first week on sale. Double it doubled what happened by Clinton and tripled. Um, Michael Wolf's, Wolf's Fire and Fury. Now, I don't know. Some of that might be availability. Like, Fire and Fury, you couldn't buy, basically. Yeah. Whereas it sounds like Flatiron, which is the publisher of A Higher Loyalty, they were ready. They had some books ready to go. Uh, and that's and that's the story. I don't... With Trump, it's, it, it, we talked about that on the show before. We, we don't want to do too much Trump stuff, A, because it makes us sick, and B, it's yes. bad radio, and, and C, I just don't want to. But, like, it is wild how this the the new cycle is so fast that stuff doesn't seem to stick i'm not sure what's sticking from this comey book with trump like what's new that we're learning about here i've kind of lost track frankly because i i pay attention but i try not to get sort of myself into the tar baby i guess from the book world the appetite in terms of sales is still there for books related to trump 
um, you, which is fascinating to me. I didn't think this book would sell very well. Both Rebecca and I said when we first heard this, we didn't think there'd be much sizzle. This The book would be all sizzle and no steak. I'm not sure, but the sales figures, whatever else you want to say about the book, the proof of whatever this is, at least initially, is, is in the 600K. Uh, what, what do you? What's interesting to you about this? Anything jump out? I mean, there was. Well, I, there are a few things. Like first of all, like in the book side of it, I mean, Michiko Kukatani Kakatani came back and did her New York Times review just for yes, this right. Book. That's right. Yes, excellent point. Yeah. So I was like, wow, it must be kind of a big deal. And because I'm, I have no real plans to read the book. I. Right, me neither. The review. Yeah. I usually don't, but you know, it's sort of I could see where the drama and the attention would come from with this. And in the piece they mention that it's the first big memoir by a key player in the Trump administration. And I part of me is just wondering if maybe, you know, I wonder if people feel like because he was in the FBI and because, yeah. you know, he was involved with a lot of legal work, he maybe he has more of a, I don't know, a balanced perspective on what's oh, going on. He seems right. like a sort of like maybe people can turn to him for a neutral, which is sort of a preposterous thing to say yeah. about anybody in politics. But like a sort of neutral perspective on what is actually happening because there's so much news out there and there are yeah. so many stories and there's so much sensationalism. And I'm not saying by any means that this book isn't sensationalist because it sounds like, you know, he was reserving some of his opinions about the administration until like the book tour was underway. Right, right, right. So there's some of that. But I'm wondering if people are just desperate for any sort of real – a real behind-the-scenes look without the sense or the smack of gossip on it. And I don't know if that's what this book serves, right. um, but well, I don't know. Well, I mean, not, not to do uh, Hamilton impressions, but like talk about being in the room where it happened, right? Both for Hillary and Trump, it feels like this was a guy who was there around these people. He made a huge decision. I think you know the stats have borne that out in terms of the, the few days before the election, making the announcement about, I can't even remember exactly the parameters, or that there's some other emails that are related to Anthony Weiner's wife, and I can't, I can't even remember what it is now, but like getting involved in elec the election at the end, then getting fired by Trump, being involved in the Mueller investigation, like all this kind of stuff. I wonder if it is like our first chance where we get someone in the halls of power that is making a definitive statement that... yeah is you it know you feel like it i can i think one thing people are looking for the smoking gun that we feel like has got to be out there like this is going to be the thing that brings the whole thing tumbling down i think there's some of that i think there's some of that with fire and fury i think there's some of that with this book um, which is some kind of that with of, the Mueller investigation but yeah and that part of it i just like, don't know if I, you're gonna get it i keep thinking that too but right I, you know i feel like if there was something in these books I feel like we would have already heard about it. And so I've kind right. of lost any sort of faith in believing that there's going to be dis something discovered between these pages that's going to cause a real reaction or a real right. ripple in the administration. Um, yeah. And maybe that's a cynical yeah. view of things, but I'm sure people are going to this book hoping to find something. But Here it is. I got so it. It's on page these. 12. Yeah. Let's take it to the Congress. <laughs> take it to the court. Get this taken care of. <laughs>
<coughs> yeah, and and Comey was like a prosecutor around you know the time of the mafia social clubs, and I feel like people might think that maybe he has more of a perspective about it because it sounds like he did he did draw parallels between you know the mafioso culture and the Trump administration in terms of like the loyalties and the threats and that sort of thing but those are things we heard about i mean i've been hearing about those things from his book before it came yes. out you know these excerpts and snippets get leaked out and people are talking about it and you hear about it and we can all talk about these things but what's going to actually happen is yeah. sort of why I don't, maybe I, I don't pick these books up. I, I agree. I think it's become that part of noise where I don't really, I'm not going to get interested and excited about something happening with, with Trump until it's under oath, right? I mean, because now, I mean, because you know Comey's limited by all kinds of weird legal stuff with what he can say mm-hmm. in this book and what evidence he can bring it to bear. So anything that's getting published for dollars at this point I already think of being compromised, not not morally or ethically, just but legalistically. Like it, there's just not there, not much can be in here for a whole bunch of weird reasons. Um, yeah, like I if you withheld so evidence, to, oh, go ahead. if you yeah. withheld evidence, that's an obstruction of justice charge. Yeah, like you can't, yeah. you can't. I would love yeah. to believe that there's something, but you know, I just. It doesn't sound like there is, is, is my I point. think it's interesting that we're getting these big, substantial books, like, in real time almost. I mean, Trump's been in office, yeah. like, what, 18 months, and we've got What Happened in Fire and Fury and this book. we got three big, juicy books with, like, the history. If I don't know. Again, this is one of those situations. I don't know uh, what it was like to live through, like, Watergate or Vietnam or something like that. But the idea that, like, you're getting big hardcover books, substantial about what the present is like, is a different way of experiencing history for me to see these things happen like this, which I do think is fascinating. And people are buying it. Um, I, this book looks like it's going to, Rebecca and I said, you know, Fire and Fury is going to be the best-selling book of the year. We done wrong. Cause this one is going to outsell. Yeah. Like it's, maybe there's something else coming after it, but boy, I, I, the sales numbers do surprise me. I guess that's my uptake is boy, there's, there's still an appetite. Uh, and maybe books. it is because, um, you know, the news has become so unreliable. Like we would hear about these things so much more in news and these like really, deep investigative pieces but i feel right. like people have kind of lost their faith in that and they just want maybe one resource or one person or to have it all in one place and maybe that's why these books are doing so well right like literally something you can hold on to if you buy a print version of this you can point to this page and comey said this in his book and yeah and you don't know the leading true, but that he said it is true like that appeared in the book is indisputable that's interesting. Yeah, yeah and I they've think you heard might be his name. They don't. It's not just like I don't know how many people actually know the people who write these news pieces, but I doubt there are a lot of people who are like, "Oh, this is written by this trusted source." Like I've heard of this person who's writing this thing about what's going on in the administration. Like I doubt that happens. But James Co, like it, the Comey, is a name that people know. Yeah. So it right. feels maybe director more of the FBI. like a I mean, come yeah. on. Like, where, where else are you going to go? I mean, there's no, there's exactly. in, the, in, the, in legal jurisprudence, there's nowhere else to go. Um, not yet, at least, I guess. Yeah. So anyway. So maybe we should I, it, be too surprised. I don't know if anything else, like, 
I can't even imagine another book by somebody else coming out about this. Oh. But I might have said that a, a couple months ago, like before. Yeah, we're gonna I heard pull this clip this of you book. saying that. Yeah, we're gonna pull that clip when we hear that I Melania know. Trump's tell all is coming out next. <laughs> oh my week goodness! Like that. <laughs> That'd be the one, right? That. <laughs> that would be the one. It probably. Oh, would. here you go. Here you go. You get a tell-all book. You get one pick, and it's not Trump. Oh wow! I yeah. In, in terms of I, like I cultural shockwaves, what do you think would have the biggest cultural shockwaves? Gosh, I don't even know. Yeah, it feels like it could I can't be a number think of people. Of anything. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess it would maybe Michael Cohen, the guy who right now is having the screws really put to him. I, I think Melania is maybe the most interesting. I, I think you're probably right about Melania. I think that yeah. that's – I could see that happening more than any, yeah. anything else. Yeah, right. Because it, it would have a – if she were to do it, you know the worm had really turned if she was writing a tell-all for one thing. Second of all, think of what she's seen. Just think, just think of what she knows or doesn't know. And there's an emotional, I think at this point, I'm even sympathetic to her. Like, it seems like she's like locked in her own private hell, as far as I can tell. Like, you, the gifts of him trying to hold her hand and all that stuff. It seems uh, like there's something there that's different. Um, so I think that would be a, a People would flock um, to buy that book. I, I absolutely believe that. But yeah. I wonder and if it, it would dishy, just be... it have a dishiness that this this book doesn't really have, right? Like there's a, like a there's like a People magazine vibe to this part because it's like yes, it would be like right off the it would be as you're going through the grocery yes, check out right. like you see the book there and right next to like the tabloids and right. stuff. I feel like people would people would buy this yeah. in droves. I don't know how <laughs> like if oh, it would yeah, be I'm a sure tell all the... or if it would be a. I'm just trying to keep things quiet and tell some sort of side story to distract you from what I'm actually thinking and feeling. Like I just my life is a model, and that's it. And it ends with her. Yeah, something like that would be toothless, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right, let's move on. We could do this all day. Wild speculation about political memoirs that won't happen. Uh, Let's talk about our next sponsor. Our next sponsor is Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rayo. So here's here's the talking points. Here's 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 what it is. Uh, Pornima and Savitha have three strikes against them. They are poor, they are ambitious, and they are girls. This searing debut novel is for readers of Rupikar as it follows two friends from India to America who are driven apart by circumstance but relentless in their search for one another. Named one of the most anticipated books of the year by Goodreads, Bustle, Huff, The Huffington Post, and more, Girls Burn Brighter is a truly important and timely novel that follows the lives of two poor girls from India to America. Um, this is one you're going to want to read. This is one we've had multiple book right contributors read and really like. Mm-hmm. I will say, gird yourself. Tough. Tough sledding. Good, but tough. Searing is not a joke. Let's put it that way. Um, for Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rao. Thanks for them to sponsor. Thanks to, the, uh, the, to, to Flatiron, the publisher, for sponsoring the show. Go check it out. Beautiful cover, too, by the way. Go take a look. I have that one on my bookshelf, okay. and I can't wait to get to it. But I'm oh, you oh sweet, yeah, braced, yeah, br- br- braced for impact, right? Is that I will. they say? Um, yes. <laughs> I really thought I was going to care more about this when it when I knew it was coming. It came out this week. Uh, the Great American Read from PBS. They 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 let's see the list of a hundred finalists 
came out where you can go yeah. vote on America's most beloved book. It's going to be revealed uh, by PBS on October 23rd. And the list is out. Uh, we're not going to go one by one. Um, yeah, we take a long well, time. Why don't, why don't you get, do you have an overall impression? What do you think? Some of these I was not shocked about at all because, I mean, yeah. when I was going through this at first, I was like, this, well, for some reason, this feels like a lot of my high school reading lists. Like, it, it feels yep. like I'm reading down, like, what is, what I can choose three books for this for summer reading or something. And then there were some I was very surprised by, like. <laughs> like what? shouldn't be because they were commercially very successful right. like 50 right. shades of gray by el james and twilight on that same level and uh ready player one i think a lot of people were surprised by that being on the list just because i mean i think maybe it's because it's so recent yeah and that book like, sold i mean it yeah. did sell but a lot of books sell right? yeah and it has an adaptation and all that it has that nostalgia effect so maybe it's like you know front of mind in a lot of readers i don't know in their catalog of books mm -hmm. that they've read but some of these are just you know it looks like a long list of mostly classic works that you've probably read in high school or in college i mean there were some i was really glad to see on the list like their eyes were watching god by zora neale hurston which i feel like i've been talking about a lot lately for some reason um, White Teeth by Zadie Smith is one I really love. It's funny yep. to see Harry Potter on the list, but I was absolutely not surprised about that one. But yeah. yeah. I guess I'm both surprised and not surprised by the list. I, do I get to have it both ways, Sharifa? You can throw yeah, a flag absolutely. There's in. always a gray area. There's always um, a gray area. I guess in terms of books, I'm genuinely, I don't think there's any book I'm genuinely shocked to see. Some of it is regression to the mean. If something's really popular, some if a lot of people have read it, some people will really love that book. Yeah. I guess in terms of being shocked, like there's a couple of books. Well, let's let's back up for a minute about how the the list was oh, yes. was chosen because I think that might we might be able to guess which ones were sort of judges' choices. So this is reading from PBS's website. PBS and the producers worked with the, with the public opin opinion polling service YouGov, which also does political polling and stuff, to conduct a demographically and statistically representative survey asking Americans to name their most loved novel. Approximately 7,200 people participated. The results were tallied and organized based on our selection criteria and overseen by an advisory panel of 13 literary industry professionals. They had a couple criteria. Each author only got one title. Book published in a series were featured... Ongoing characters count as one eligible entry. So you could be the series Harry Potter without being, you know, all seven books would probably make the list if you didn't do it that way. So you could have the whole Harry Potter series. Books could be anywhere from anywhere in the world as long as they were published in English. Only fiction could be included in the poll. That's just a decision they made. And each advisory panel member was permitted to select one book for discussion and possible inclusion on the top 100 list from the longer list of survey results. So what we don't know is what percentage of these hundred were just sort of by popular picks? Like, which ones of the picked were just because they had got the most votes, and then which were on there because they were appeared on the long list, but they got a little juice from the committee? Does that, does that sound like a fair yeah. description of what we don't know, Sharifa? 
Yeah, I yeah. and I can't tell from looking at this list. Like nothing really pops out as something where I'm yeah. like, oh well, that was absolutely something that had the judges' influence. Or well, I've got well, okay, I've got a couple that okay. I know to tell okay. me if I'm wrong. Just because of the recent books, like Ghost by Jason Reynolds. Jason Reynolds is not a household name. I mean, that's a book. That's true. I'm surprised to see that there. Like it's a book that's it's fairly well known. But when you look at it next to like The Godfather and Gone Girl and Game of Thrones, just on the list. You're like, that seems out of scale. I could be wrong about that. That's one that's jumped out to me. Um, the other one that jumped out to me is a book I actually don't know anything about. Do you? Number 32, Donna Barbara by Romulo Gallegos. Do you know that book? Wow, I have, have never ever? heard of that book in my life. So, Tanya again, Barbara. some of my cultural biases could absolutely be showing. And please write into the show, podcast at bookriot.com. It's like, Jeff, you really should know what this book is. Um, but this is a, a first published in 1929 by a Venezuelan author. Um, it's, it wow. says it's possibly the most widely known Latin American novel. You could knock me down with a feather. So maybe this <laughs> made the list and I just don't know this book. But I'm saying if I had to pick that somewhere, is... I think maybe there's a little special sauce on here. This is what I'm picking. What do you think about that? I I could see that. I've never... Yeah. I always feel bad when I have never heard of a book that makes. Well, it on if one we haven't heard of, we just say like that's our blind. Like we can, probably... like there's a billion books published a minute from all over the world. Like this one is just asking us to account for all books ever published anywhere. Okay, so that's easy. let's settle down on what we should and shouldn't know. But that's one like, frankly, possibly the most widely known Latin American novel. I'm going to read this book now. Like I don't know what this book is. I've never heard of it. Um, I guess so. That those are a couple where I guess I would be surprised if just by sheer for shrinking according to votes, those two would have made it. Um, let's see, I had another one. Uh, what was I going to look at? I know people were shocked about, this is definitely, I don't think this is a judge's choice, but like the clan of the cave bear. People no, the people, a million thing. people read that book. Like, yeah, I'm not I remember that by book. any of the things that people have read. I'm not shocked by any of those. Yeah, I remember that on like my parents' bookshelf. So yeah. I feel like if I saw it there, it definitely is a popular book. I mean, um, I think, yeah, I guess those are those are the two that jump out to me. I guess one that I wouldn't have thought to put on the list, but since it's there, it's like, oh, yeah, people read the, the Left Behind series. Um, this is number 62. This is in alphabetical read. order. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't read either, but, like, people read that. Like, that's a, uh, oh, yeah, that that has its own, like, following. Um, that isn't, this. I was surprised that the John Green title that made it was Looking for Alaska. I was surprised Oh, yeah, they that. even put the cover there. Oh, well, this is just the... Uh, um, news site, but yeah, looking for Alaska. I mean, his books are so popular, right? So i I think I, if I had seen any book of his on this list, I wouldn't be surprised. No, I wasn't surprised either. I yeah. just I just assumed it would have been the fault in our stars, but I, yeah, you know, apparently I'm wrong about that. So take that for what you will. Do you I don't know, know mind, which came... Mind Invaders by Dave Hunt. This is a book I've never heard of. Have you heard of this book? Mind Invaders. I feel like I should know what that yeah, book is. Right? Uh, <laughs> So uh, this book, um, Mind Invaders. It came it out science? in two thousand. It came out in two thousand five. I don't know what this book is. Uh, I I don't see any. There's no Wikipedia page from it. I don't this know what this so book is. So random. Yeah. The Cold um, War for Psychic Dominion heats up. Is. <laughs> The first is sentence. this a is this a Zerg? Maybe this got Zerged onto the list by fans it or something. It has to be. I I. There, if it, there are fifteen customer reviews on Amazon, Sharifa. 15. This is very weird. How did this get on? Somebody must have been like, you know what? 
let's throw in a wild. I'm going to be let's, the let's rogue judge. I'm going to throw in a wild card and let's see if anybody catches on. What is this book? It's strange. I it doesn't even look like anything. I mean, this sounds. It looks like a self published title to me. Like I don't know, but just but just looking at the first glance, the Barian Call Press from November of two thousand five. Like, what is this book? One of the judges is named Dave Hunt, writer of Mind Invaders. Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't know how that book. Honestly, the publisher. The publisher, it's like a Christian publisher or something. Interesting. And Dave Hunt is the founder of the publishing house that put out the book. Okay, this is very strange. Very strange. We're doing like a real live annotated episode pitch, actually. Like, how did this, I know. Where this book, where did it come? So, I don't <laughs> know. That, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you have ever seen this list, but the Modern Library has this list of the top 100 novels, uh, English novels of the, of the 20th century, there's the editor's list and then there's the vote list. Mm-hmm. Just that's a, And the vote list has a whole lot of L. Ron Hubbard on there, which suggests oh to me my. that like, the Scientologists got, you know, it's an open vote. You can vote. Do what you're going to do. Like, that's, that's how the system is set up. I'm not saying they did anything wrong. I'm just saying that those, they, I think they may have organized a vote-getting campaign. I'm wondering if um, The Mind Invaders by Dave Hunt, what is that book? So that one feels to me like the opposite of a judge's choice. Like they got on yeah. there and they just left it on for whatever reason. So wh- I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna do some more research. I'll come back to that for next week's show. I, I would be very interested in finding out what that book yeah. is all about because I it makes no sense in my mind right. whatsoever. Um, and I'm looking so at anyway, the rest. Go of check the... out the list. Go ahead, Truth. Yeah. No, no. I was I was just gonna say I'm looking at the rest of the list and those are really. Like the rest of them seem pretty standard. Yeah. The rest, they, I would, you know, a lot of them you're going to find at like the paperback favorites shelf yes. or a table at Barnes and Noble, which isn't wrong. But like as Rebecca and I said when we first talked about, a lot of this is going to be regression to the mean. I mean, it just is. They, yeah, that's this many true. people, this many books. That's it's just it's just going to happen. It's going to be unusual to see a, a pick that's not To Kill a Mockingbird or The Great Gatsby or Harry Potter. If this is just voting, Harry Potter is going to win this thing. I don't think there's any question. I'd be shocked. Unless there's some sort of judge's intervention or putting their thumb on the scale, it's going to be Harry Potter. There's no doubt. I, I really. That's what I, you're, I you're, you're going to. You'd bet your money on it. Yeah, assuming, like I've said, if 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 the structure is really people voting on it over time, that's what's going to. Yeah. Happen. Yeah, I could see that. I think that's our show, Sharifa. Excellent! Wow, that went by so quickly. Yeah. It goes. It goes fast, especially when you got to talk about. You know, you got to talk about uh, mind hunt. Uh, yes, mind we, that was absolutely Mind Invaders necessary. by Dave Hunt. Both of our favorite <laughs> books now are, are now both of our favorite book is Mind Hunter by Dave Hunt that made this list somehow. Uh, go, if you know about this book, <laughs> podcast at yes. bookride.com. And if you have to say anonymous things, <laughs> you can tell me. I don't, I don't know if any of, you, any of you listen to Annotated. There's a quote in the one about hacking the New York Times bestseller list that was originally a listener email to this show. And I protected their anonymity all the way through. I'll, I'll protect it to thumbscrews I might give you up. But like short of thumbscrews, I'm, I'm going to protect your an- anonymity. But uh, you can tell us if you're a little birdie. If you know anything about how this is put together, I didn't see a list of these 13 literary professionals. Me neither. That PBS talked about it. So that, that's also on my list of things to find out. Um, maybe one of them loved this book. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's going to be you know, the undiscovered gem of the, of the great American read. We'll see. Sharifa, thank you so much. Go check her and Jen out 
on SFF. Yeah, shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. I was going to ask another question if, uh, of the readers out there. Oh, for those of you who bought Circe because of us yes. or recommended Circe because of us, let us know, podcast at bookriot.com. You can find the show notes to this and all episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Until next week, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>